Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucking knots? How the hell are you? It's Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for... Hold on. Wait for it. Pow! Whoa. I think I shit my pants. JustCoffee.coop. Available at WTFpod.com. What do I got to tell you? Today on the show, Greg Fitzsimmons. That's right. I know a lot of you thought that we didn't get along or that there was a problem. Well, there is a problem. There's always a problem between me and Greg, but we do get along and we love each other. How's that for you? Known him a long time, love the guy, there's always a little problem. But we're going to work through it in just a second. Before I get into that, I want to plug my dates. I'm at Helium in Philly. Helium in Philly, January 12th through 15th. Come down for that. I believe it's heliumcomedy.com. I'd love to see you at the shows. Greg Fitzsimmons, huh? What can I tell you about that? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stall it for just a minute. Maybe read an email. Subject line, Root Canal. Mr. Mark Marin. I found your podcast a couple months ago and have been enjoying it immensely. I, like almost every human being, have a very active thought life. Your show, rants, and interviews give me a glimpse into your inner thoughts and help to remind me that I'm not the only fucked up person in the world. Welcome aboard, my friend. After many months of fighting with a sore tooth, I recently gave in and had a root canal. Rather than listen to the drilling and perhaps to avoid my own miserable thoughts, I listened to two episodes of What the Fuck. When it comes right down to it, I can't think of a better podcast that goes better with a root canal. I wish you the best in life, love, and working through your inner darkness. Sincerely, Joel. Can I use that as a plug? Maybe that should be right there on iTunes. How would that read? What the Fuck with Mark Marin. Can't think of a better podcast that goes with a root canal. Hey, look, I had one of those. And believe me, I had my own what the fuck going. Unfortunately, I didn't have the benefit of listening to my podcast. I just listened to my head and then I shared it with you guys later. Letter? Later? Greg Fitzsimmons. Yes. Greg Fitzsimmons is going to be here shortly. Now, I know a lot of you who listen to Fitzdog Radio, who listen to his podcast, uh, think that there's a beef with us. And I thought we had buried it, but I got to tell you, I do, I hold on to a resentment sometimes. I mean, even when, I don't know if, if other people can relate to this, but I, I have grudges in my heart and mind that have lasted a pretty long time. And even if I see the person that I have a grudge with, I'll be pleasant to them. I'll say hi to them. You'll maybe have a, a sandwich or a piece of pie with them, but I'll still be festering a bit. Very hard to let go of that shit. And I, I don't know always what to do about it. And a lot of times when I have resentments, my tone with the person or when I'm talking about the person uh, could be construed as negative uh, when I speak to them in a dismissive, condescending, or abusive tone. That could be construed as negative when I speak of them in an abusive, negative, or condescending tone or a slanderous tone that can be construed as negative. But then when you get right up to them and they're standing in front of you, you're like, hey, man, what's going on? Isn't that what people do? Hey, man, what's going on? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Reed, fuck you, you asshole. Hey, how's it going? I hate your fucking guts. When are we going to hang out again? God, please don't fucking email me. Hey, uh, how's your girlfriend? She's a fucking idiot. See how that works? I was talking to a made-up person, but I think that goes on. It goes on in my mind sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, I have found that a lot of times that I'll... 
I'll I'll resent somebody or hate them or or or, or decide that they're assholes because I like them because they remind me of me because I connect with them. It's a boundary. I don't have healthy boundaries, so sometimes the best boundary I can muster is fuck that guy, fuck you, get the fuck out of my face, or over here, yeah, he's an asshole. Oh, that guy? Fuck that guy. That is what I call a boundary. And and it's not something I can commit to because really what I'm saying is, hey, buddy, like me. Hey, man, let's hang out. How come you never call me? How does why don't why don't we ever get together? Come out as uh, oh really? No shit, asshole. How, how does that happen? I don't know. But to be honest with you, Fitzsimmons just put this book out, and it's like a real book. He put some work into it. Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons, Tales of Redemption from an Irish Mailbox. I'm not about plugging, but this is like a real book. It's thoughtful. There are pictures. Uh, he put a lot of work into it, and and I got to be honest with you, I've known Greg probably over 20 years, and I've always liked him. Uh, as a person, as a comic. I've always thought he was a very sweet guy and hard worker and just a decent person. And then I did his show on Sirius and for some reason, his tone really grated on me and he was sort of an asshole to me and I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't understand it. In other words, folks, he hurt my feelings. See, that's the problem with being sensitive. Your feelings are right there. Look at Mark. I'm just, I, if I walk into a room, even if I'm cranky, I'm like, a, I'm just like a fucking open wound. How hard is it to hurt my feelings? Not very hard at all. That's what I'm telling you. Try negative tweeting me. It hurts my feelings. Is that wrong? Does that make me an, uh, uh, an asshole? No, but I don't think the proper response to having your feelings hurt is like, you know, fuck you. I'm never talking to you again. You're an asshole. But I mean, sometimes that's just better in, in the situation than to start crying or to, to say, uh, hey, man, you know what you said or how you acted? It really hurt my feelings. Yeah, I know that psychobabbly kind of like that's what people tell you to do. It's like, look, you know, stand up for yourself, you know, have healthy boundaries and, and speak that, you know, t- tell people how you feel. Hey, man. Hey, you know, when you did that, it really hurt my feelings. And then they laugh at your face, just like my mother did. So now... Greg is on. We had a great chat. It went on for a long time. I don't want to waste too much time here uh, chatting about this shit. Let's just talk to Greg and you'll see we're friends. And the reason why I like Greg is that he laughs. You know, a lot of comics, they don't laugh. They don't know how to laugh anymore. Greg laughs. And the thing I love about Greg Fitzsimmons' laugh is that it could just as easily be crying. Yeah, your publicist sent me your book. Is that where we're at with podcasting, Fitzsimmons? Are we recording? Sure, we're recording. Yeah, all right, good. Was that where we're at, where I got to deal with your publicist, who I happen to know, to get your book? So you brought me a book today. How is that supposed to prepare me? It was a gift in case you oh. had. It was a. It was a. Uh, it was a forgive me gift if nobody had sent you a book. A forgive me gift. Yeah. All no, right, I so- really I appreciate that you. Uh, I'm assuming took a look at it then. Well, you're, you're lucky there are fucking pictures in it because I don't know that it, it made it to the bathroom a couple of times. Well, I figured you learned to read with picture books. You should learn to write with picture books also. Greg Fitzsimmons, who I made drive out here even though I was literally across the street from his house this morning, but the thought of going to his quote-unquote studio and let him have any of that territorial control over our conversation, which was a mistake I made last time, was not was not was just not in the cards this time. I had a the amount of resentment I have to shelf just to have him over for a second interview, given his 
obnoxious treatment of me last time is <laughs> is something that I'm proud to call an act of humility on my part. But I do have the book, Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons, Tales of Redemption from the Irish Mailbox. To be honest with you, you know, when you call me, uh, I was, and I guess you said on your your podcast that I'd canceled on you. Did you say that? Twice. That I'd canceled on you twice. Well, we had San Francisco where you came to see my show. And then I said, why don't we do a podcast tomorrow? Where were you playing? Did I come see your show? I was at the Oh, that's right. I, was, I, I remember I took a seat, stage right. Yeah, it was very uh, nice. I liked having you out there. Yeah, and I, I was uh, making notes of uh, you know what you've become. Uh, in my mind, judging, but uh, of course, uh, it's very it, hard to have another comedian in the crowd when you're doing. Your did show. you know I was there? Yeah, of course. Oh, we said it, hello before the show started. Oh, and I appreciated the you know you're out there doing the work and you're holding up pretty well physically. Yeah, but there's this moment. There's a thing about being our age and having done it as long as as we have is that my my experience in watching you is not going to be like this guy sucks or this guy's great or or anything other than like eh, there's Greg. We're still doing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Like, all, it's almost like watching a rerun of Citizen Kane, or I guess in my case of watching, you know, at least a, a an F Troop rerun. No, I mean it's just that, like, there after a certain point, a lot of the 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 resentments and anger, or whatever judgments or comparing we might have done, though we still do it. You know, when we're in that room, when we're doing stand up comedy, I just look at it. It's amazing we're still doing stand up yeah. comedy. Yeah, and it's and it's really. Um, it's all we can do. You realize once you've once you've gotten up close next to the flames of stand up, you realize there's nothing else. I mean, podcasting really is about as close as you can get to something that's as um, immediate and uh, as openly creative and as self self indulgent. It's as, better. It is better. It's better in terms of of uh, creativity and being immediate and whatever. But I literally, when you were coming over here, and the reason I canceled that time was just uh, who the hell knows? I was it was in another town. Yeah, and we hadn't really planned it. But this last time, I, I really just canceled because I didn't want to talk to you. And yeah, uh, I, I could tell by the way you canceled. <laughs> it wasn't like even an elegant attempt to uh, couch it in real business. It was like, I got to get ready for a trip to New York I'm making in a week. <laughs> and this was the night before the interview. And uh, now, just, look, uh, look, what? here's the thing. Yeah. You and I approached this in a different way. And I said this when we had our initial and first of all, I didn't perceive it as a conflict as much as you did because I I enjoy conflict on my podcast. I like I like to mix it up. I like to find uh, a little bit more of a raw nerve, and I don't I don't think I do it in a provocative way. I just find if I'm talking to somebody during my interview and I find that there's something that seems like they're protecting, that's going to aggravate them. That, that that's going to aggravate them. No, I wouldn't say that. I don't. I'm not trying to aggravate you. I'm just when when I was I don't I think I was asking you about. The roots of what would make somebody become a stand-up comedian. I'm always interested in that. I, I couldn't have been that. Now, if you were to ask no, me that- No, I think that's what it was. But it, maybe you were asking uh, in this way. Why are you like you? Why? No, that, that's not it. Why think, are you like yeah, you? Why are what you like saying. you? What yes. happened? What? Why is that not an interesting, compelling question on a podcast? Why well, are you? Because you are like you, Mark. You're a very, you're a very unique no, and see, interesting there, person. Why, why wouldn't I not want to find that no, out no, no, in an I interview? No, but there's a different way to coax it out of you. But the, the truth is, is like every time I see it, it, it all goes away, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't give a shit about that. And I, I, no, I love you. I love you too. I, you know, you've chosen to do the type of, uh, you know, broadcast. Ah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> I, you know, I respect. I your knew choice. when you <laughs> lost eye contact, something was going to go awry. Look at you! Every time we talk now, you're like, "Okay, I see what you're doing with your eye, the hand. I know what the hand is. 
That's a defensive I'm action. going man-to-man defense with no. you. I can't drop back to his own. I do not persist in, in passive-aggressive attacks. But when I did see you do stand-up, you're funny, and I, and I loved that you were doing uh, crowd work. You had some... Uh, some old guy there that was drunk and that like and this is the weird thing about sitting in the crowd is that more so than not we don't really hear what they say and we assume we hear what they say and then we go after them and then it turns out it's like you know i think that guy was wasted he was like you know 60 years old and i was, was hugging him after the show he's an right. old irish guy right and yeah. he was like it was about the troops or something he was saying you don't understand about america you don't know something ridiculous yeah, yeah. but it turned out he was just shit faced exactly Wait, how did that turn out? Well, his son was with him, and then right. after the show, the son came up to me, apologized for his dad. I go, you don't apologize about a vet. That guy was in Korea. He's a good man. I misinterpreted what he said a little bit and uh, he, hugged the old guy. He was fucking yeah, American he, flag on his lapel and saying, you're a good American. Yeah, he fought for the right to fuck your show up. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about a vet, man. It's like yeah. Brian Regan's bit about, I walked on the moon. Yeah. You oh, fought yeah. in a war, I got nothing to say yeah the book though let's get back to it because you know i know that you were you wanted to come on to, to talk about the book more than anything else you didn't you didn't call me to that's not true okay. that's really not no i i really look forward to talking to you whether it's my show or your show because there, there's a handful of people that i came up with that i consider uh yeah, you i know, know you seem to thank all of them but me and the uh that's the, not the, true did I not thank you in the back of the book? No. You, oh, in the back of the book? I well, you got to go to the back. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put you right up front with no. my mom. Oh, no, no. The back of the book. I don't, no, I didn't see me. You're not that I not, the, not that I looked. Yeah. And how much did you have to pester Stern to, to write the foreword? Uh, you didn't hear this story? No. Well, you think I listened to your show? No, but it was uh, a pretty it was a pretty big uh, event. You know, for, I, I'm the most frequent guest in the history of the show. He's, I've had my own show. You know what's his- weird about me, and it's got nothing. It's nothing about him. I find very little time to do anything, but I've never really listened to an entire episode of the Howard Stern. I can't say I've listened to more than fifteen minutes. Yeah. of Howard Stern, which I feel bad about, but I just I never do it. Yeah, and I haven't in my life. I'm yeah. one of these people. I turn on, you know, all I got is NPR going, and it can, and I don't know where people have you know find time. It's a lot of time. I and mean, you know what's weird about it is there, and I'm I don't listen. That and I love much. the guy. Nothing against him. No, you know what? It is a huge commitment because it's not passive listening. You really have to put everything down. Like NPR, what time people listen to us. I'm, yes. I mean, and, and, and I'm just busy most of the time. Yeah, it's a committed four hours every day. Right. And yet there's these celebrities that listen, I mean, like Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chicks li- does not miss a minute of the show. Of, of, of Howard. Yeah, I mean, there's all these people that are intelligent, famous no, people. people. You no, know, they love him. And, they love and, I, him. and I have a lot of respect for him. And I just, I'm almost sad. It's a, gr- a regret I have that, you know, when I was younger, that I was not programmed to that. Because morning radio, for me, came later in life. It always revolves around news for some reason. Yeah. Uh, if I listen to talk radio, I find myself, I'll, I listen to car talk. I listen to whatever's on. I don't do much switching around. Are you listening to Phil Hendry much? Because I, 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 I emailed you the other night. I was you listening e- to him. You you emailed me like my dad emailed me. <laughs> I swear to God, it's just well, let me find it. It was this. Uh, it was just this fragmented email from you who never email emails me. Listening to Phil Henry, guy's a hundred years old, still got it. Something like that. I didn't right? write a hundred years. No, no, I wrote. No. I wrote uh, he's still doing five days a week, three hours a night, and and he's still he's still. Well, it sounds whatever. to me like you're. You know, there's some part of you that does something that I do that you realize in your mind that we have this talent to do this. Uh, it's a unique talent. Uh, not everybody has it, and it's oddly one of the few areas of show business where you can actually sustain a career 
for a lot of years if if you lock into it. Yeah. Uh, as a broadcaster, I was over. I went to KCRW this morning to uh, meet with the program director over there, Matt nice. Holtzman, who's a fan of mine, uh, just to talk about stuff. Yeah. And even though it's not big money necessarily doing radio on that level or any level, unless you you know get a huge syndicated show. It's very satisfying, and it is a rare talent. And I think when, what you were saying about Phil, and Phil is like amazing. I mean, you listen to old Phil Henry shows, it's fucking mind-blowing. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. And, and uh, is that he's a guy that's been doing it probably 30 or 40 years. He had a huge influence on Howard, and it's just amazing to hear guys still working. I think he's had an influence on Rush Limbaugh. Those guys oh, yeah. sound so similar because Henry is a master broadcaster first and foremost. Right. And then comes his ability to cut in and out of three characters. I don't know even how he does it. I heard that Howard comes out here and he'll go over to Phil Henry's studio and watch him. Is oh, that no true? Oh, no shit. I haven't heard You've, that. You never heard that? I heard, he, I heard he's doing a video uh, podcast of his show every night though that's what brody stevens told me you can watch him and you literally he physically changes into each character as he's doing it maybe as a cue for him to get into that character uh uh-huh. but the content that he rips through every night he goes through the billboard charts he goes through uh, variety articles inside the industry yeah every single thing he does has a strong unique opinion on it with two other it's like a cubist look at each topic he's got yeah, three completely yeah, yeah. different points of view yeah. happening at once yeah he's great oh my god and he's uh, and there's not many guys that do that i mean rush limbaugh obviously you know ideological but he but ultimately just a a broadcasting clown yeah i mean he's just a great broadcaster yeah and same with glenn beck before he became a megalomaniacal semi-cult leader yeah. again good radio guy yeah it takes and this is one thing i know about you and me it takes a a, a certain amount of ego to do this for some reason because if you really think of the guys that do broadcasting well you meet them and it's that feeling man it's even when you do morning radio when you go to some town like wherever it is st louis boise whatever they're like we're gonna take you the morning show these guys are the biggest in the market yeah and you walk in and it's johnny and the douchebag and they (laughs) act like you know you just like you know you better behave this is our house yeah yeah that feeling of there's no eye contact for the first 40 seconds you walk into their yeah oh yeah they're checking the local paper and then and then they finally they they do the uh no stand up uh hey nice to see you welcome back and you got to go in your head I've been in this physical space before. No wonder I didn't remember it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. By the way, you think Bubba the Love Sponge as well. I did. Yeah. Bubba, have you done that show? No, Bubba was a douchebag to me. The one time That's I went- That's what Louis C.K. said. An ass. No, but more than- And I can't even remember what the fucking reason was. I don't, it was Where was he? In Florida? Tampa Bay. Right. I go in there with Gary Menke. You know, I was doing probably the improv in Tampa. Yeah. And I don't know what his fucking beef was with me. And I can't remember it right now. But Jewish. I, no, it wasn't Jewish. And I don't know if it was- uh, I don't know if I was at Air America yet or what the fuck- What his problem was. But I walk in there, he left the fucking studio. What? He left the studio. Before you went on the air? No. He he had me in. He gets up. He's got some other guy there. I don't know who. And he goes, you guys do whatever you want to do. And he walked <laughs> out of the studio. And I... <laughs> That's passive aggressive. It very, it's yeah. It's, it's aggressive aggressive. But in the do you sense remember of, what you said? Well, the thing was, I don't know that I was really a radio personality, and I think the smart th- thing to do at that time would have been just to really you know kick into gear, sit behind the mic, and do it. Yeah. But that was not where I was at, and I remember sitting there with the guy who was there, who worked with Bubba Spice Boy. I, maybe it was Spice Boy, but it was just it was so rude and so fucked up. And I and I I think I remember why he did it, but I don't remember 
over now, but there was a reason. I'll tell you what it is. He is a good old boy, and I think when he sees the cultural elite walk in, he gets very defensive, and that's why he attacked Louis. And I think that he feels like guys from New York who are comedians, you know. But that being said, if you go in and play ball, he becomes your biggest cheerleader and, and, and is really, to me, it's like taking a walk into a part of the country that you wouldn't have access to. I have you no know? problem it's with like good old boys. It's like being into the bayou. I go yeah. in and he's got, he shows me this Israeli handgun, a 12 cal, some, I don't know guns, but it, it was the size of a rifle, but it was a handgun. And then he's got a midget outside on a couch that's urinated himself. He's got a guy who's about to rob a bank, and Bubba's talking him out of it live on the air. Right. And then he's got a, I mean, the, the insane, and this is at seven in the morning, and the entire crew is drinking Pabst Blue Ribbons at seven in the morning. Right. So to me, it's as a comic, I'm just thanking God I've got access to this for the morning. Just it's, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, it, but you're, you're speaking of it as if it's a huge swath of American subculture, which I don't think it's huge, and, and I'm, it's certainly, and, and, and given the portrait that you just painted, Am I not supposed to condescend that? I don't. I don't think you should because. <laughs> but I. I don't. I mean, I understand it. I yeah. like watching it. It's part of the drama. But they certainly aren't going to take that lifestyle and pull rank on me. Well, but like, I, yeah, who the fuck are you to come in here and act like you're better than us? I. I. I think I have every right to. I yeah. Well, gonna... I think it's the tone that you do it with because I was definitely. I went with. Uh, yeah, it's great to be here. There's a midget pissing himself out front, and you got a handgun that could. I go. I noticed the whole studio just cl- just cleared when you pulled out the gun, and they know you. I mean, if you, if I, I think there's a way. But to I do play that it. too. I. I would never. I. I don't. I. I am not a condescending person. I misunderstood as condescending. Yeah. I'm, I'm an open-hearted guy, and I don't condescend. And I can't look. I do Opie and Anthony. I don't have any problem with that. I. I do. Uh. I, I'll do any show. Sometimes when I'm at a show, there's part of me that's thinking like. Oh no! Now I'm part of this. Oh yeah, where, oh, yeah. where it's like, am I going to be able to get out of the studio without feeling like I violated something that I find? And you know what's more, worse? What is when you fall in love with the show and you want to go back? I That's always go back. I, yeah. I felt like that when I was on Bubba. I was like, oh my god, someone's going to hear this and they're going to think I'm part of this world. And then all I could think of for weeks after is, how do I get back into that world again? Yeah, there was something about it that was it was them. They we, were we, being themselves. We are part of that world. Anybody who masturbates to porn. Yeah, on some level, you know, is part of that world. Not yes. because they're masturbating to porn, but you're probably sitting with the people that you masturbated to. Yeah, and, and the thing about that is that I, I really have gotten to the point where, you know, you go through different levels with, with porn, and I think I had a titillation, and then you really reach a peak when you discover your fetish. Yeah. You know? Which, yeah, have you found yours? Yeah. What is it? Uh, Asian feet. Really? Yeah. Are you being serious? No, I mean, I'm not like crazed about it, but I found, you know, I think after you log X number of hours on Google or what's the one, uh, YouPorn, you start to realize that you're searching for certain things. And I found that, yeah, Asian feet became the thing that really, really works for me. And and I, I haven't turned my back on the others, but I feel like. So you masturbate to feet? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not that specific. Yeah. I, I still need, you know, friction. You rotate it? No, I mean, I, I've been a little off porn because I happen to be, you know, fairly well sexed right now. Well, that's what I was getting to is that I'm, I'm kind of off it now. You know, I don't know. After dating someone who, who was in the sex industry a bit, like, I didn't want to see her strip. I didn't want to see her dance. I didn't want to yeah. see her fuck other guys. I, I, you know, I think I was sort of into, like, she was a good person or what have you. But you know, wait, when, what was turning you on about her then? That she was into me. 
<laughs> That's your fetish. That's your porn fetish. I guess. If you could just have a site you could go to where the women just go like, Mark, tell me more yeah. about when you were in Boston yeah, you, coming you up are as a great. Your cock is so great. Oh, tell me about yeah, Charles Bukowski. Yeah, yeah. But take a long time yeah, doing yeah. it. No, no, no. I, I mean, that's very appealing to have women into you, isn't it? <laughs> of course. And that's the thing about going on the road now. Like, I've been with my wife uh, 11 years married, 14 years total. And I can look you in the eye and honestly tell you, I haven't fucked around on the road. And why? Because when a woman shows interest on me on the road, number one, I think she's a freak and something's horribly wrong with her. And number two, mission accomplished. Her it's being done. into right. me, that's yeah. all I care about. No, yeah, I've had to, you know, there's, a, I, 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 in the past, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't fuck around on my second wife and, you know, I don't fuck around anymore if I'm involved with somebody because it's too much of a chore. First of all, to live a lie. Living because, a lie is not it, worth it. Yeah, yeah, because you're making a fool out of them. And and also, it's a lot to juggle if you're going to do that. And you never know what you're going to stick your dick into or how that's going to come back out. You're what pictures are going to show up and, and what you, you just don't know. Yeah. I, but that shouldn't be, you know, oddly enough, this surveillance-based <laughs> society that everyone's yeah. so afraid of Big Brother. You know, Big Brother is keeping a lot of guys from fucking around on their wives. It's true. You know, and it, it, but, but also, like, I, I really think that it's better if you stay focused. You know, this, it's funny you say the Big Brother thing, because I read an article, I can't remember what it was recently, but it was saying Big Brother was better than this type of surveillance society, because Big Brother ostensibly was trying to keep public order. It was trying to be a good thing. It was a function of the state. Yes, whereas now it's really about finding the, finding bad things free and for putting all. them up. Yeah, less than a free-for-all. It actually has an agenda of embarrassing people, humiliating people, yeah, showing but, but you it, violence. What I'm saying, and, it's, it's nebulous. It, it, there's no apparatus in place other than individuals saying, let's, let's see if we can get some dirt on somebody, let's yeah. see if we can market something let's see if we can catch somebody doing something it's it's what william burroughs called a, a nation of rats yeah that yeah. you know everybody's looking to turn the other person out for a buck or, or to like i do i'm working on this bit in my act where i say you know you know big brother you know what big brother sounds like here's what big brother sounds like could you just go through the machine just got we're waiting in yeah. line here yeah that we're it yeah it's the ability to sense the soft underbelly and somebody that you that you seem to have a relationship with you know every single person like when you watch jersey shore and i don't know if you watch it or not but i once in a while i watch a show like that just just to find out how low the bar has gotten and it really is like seven eight people in a house going all right if i'm the most fucked up one i'll get the big deal coming off this yeah, show but, the, but but what i don't understand and given where we come from in show business how did that become the thing that someone works yeah, towards i know yeah, I mean, like, to me, it's my biggest fear in life to be the guy that, like, that's the guy that shit himself. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, what, you're going to go shit yourself for the rest of your life because you're known as that? Yeah, but I think you got it backwards. You're saying that people are turning people out like rats, but I think it's the opposite. I think that there is a, there is a demand for it from the public. They are... They are hungry for those things. That's why we're putting it out there. But that's why gossip is a sin. I mean, the the, the thing is that it's destructive. It, it, you, the thing, it, it, it makes people frightened, number one. And number two, it's slanderous. And the way that the brain works is that once a frame is in place, once, you know, okay, so, you know, I heard Joe fucks animals. That, that was what I heard. That was the news report. Joe fucks animals. Now it's been proven that Joe doesn't fuck animals. But that's page six. And who gives a shit? Yeah. Joe fucks animals now for the rest of his that's life. That's it. Yeah, that's the thing about pedophilia charges, man. One pedophilia charge, you're done. And, you know, and, and I, to me it feels like, I heard this story once about this guy, and he was taking a leak, and, and, the ba and the, his son's friend was over, 
having a play date. The kid opened up the door and he told his dad a couple days later, yeah, I saw Mr. Johnson's penis. Mr. Johnson goes, gets, gets put up for trial on it and the, the charges go away. He's fucked the rest of his life. He's, he, his dick was shown to a neighbor's kid. We're not really sure what happened. We forget what happened in the trial. Right. But that guy's marked for the rest of his life. Now, what would really make that story you know, more in line with what we're saying is if the kid's dad had told him to go, you know, you know, to walk in on on Mr. Johnson while he was taking a pee, and then fucking set the kid up. Well, in a sense, set the guy up. I think there's a maybe there's an awareness when you keep telling your kids, don't take candy from strangers, don't trust adults, you'll be taken away. There is a paranoia even among kids now where they are seeing things maybe they wouldn't right. have. Right, and and there's a paranoia with parents. Like you know, if you have a kid over, I'm sure you have play dates at your house. I locked the bathroom door, but the, man. But, right, but there's a paranoia. Yep. Oh, that, that, absolutely. I can't hug. I, I love kids. I want to hug a kid yeah. the way I'm fucking, I just, it like refreshes my soul when I, and yet I will only do it if it's like my niece, my nephew. Out of fear? Yes. No shit. Yeah. I really feel weird about it. And I feel like, and I'm at a playground. See, I don't think that's right. When I, if I'm at a playground. That's big brother. Yeah. I think it is. And and I feel like it's the same thing with uh, even my I don't know if it's like sometimes my wife will have a hot friend and I remember back when she was breastfeeding and yeah. she was part of this mommy group and yeah. they would all whip their tits out and breastfeed and, and, and like You're the one in the circle jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> look, we're all producing milky substance here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so, Don't judge me. Yeah, look, I, if you're if you're pulling them out. <laughs> and so uh and I just remember thinking like uh this is really fucked up. Yeah. But in the past, men would leave the room out of this self-induced shame. Right. And at least I'm being honest and going, look, you got nice big fat tits. They're the biggest they'll ever be right now. Yeah. And I'm checking them out. Yeah. Let's all feel good about this. Yeah. Let yeah. me ask you this, because I'm, I'm curious about this with book. How much of, because with my podcast, yeah. I love this part. Yeah. Uh, I don't like marketing it. I don't like booking guests. How much oh, energy do, do you waste? Or not waste, but do you... Do you find like of your total en- this to me is positive energy. This this raises up my fuel tank. Yeah. Booking guests fucking if I can do it for 30 seconds a week, that's how much time I try to it, do it. It becomes hard because I, I think I do more than you anyways. I do two a week. I do and, two a week. Oh, you do? Yeah. And but uh, I only book a guest on one usually. Oh, I uh you know, I like to have as many guests as possible and I'll go record it on the road. But yeah, booking is a pain in the ass because I don't I don't have a booking operation. It's all by, you know, I have to, it, there has to be a certain degrees of separation for me to get at somebody. You know, like it's hard for me to get certain people unless I know them. Do you go of. after people that you think would be good on the show yeah. if you don't have a relationship with them? Yeah, but I, I have to still figure out how to go after them. Yeah. It's still me doing it. Who's your dream guest? Uh, I'd like to talk to Iggy Pop. I'd wow. like to, I'd like to talk to Tom Waits. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I, I heard your your thing about Tom Waits' new album coming. No, no, I was following your tweets oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. Tom Waits' new album, and I fucking I gotta get it because uh, yeah. I feel the same way about him. Yeah, I, I, when I Alice just, came out. I, I couldn't do anything for two weeks except listen to that album. I just I think he's I, he's just part of my life and has been for a long time. Yeah. I'd like to interview Shanling. Yeah. Uh, there's some. Uh, there, I, I'd like to interview Tina Fey. Shanling is not the interview you think he's going to be now. Now he's gotten so. Just preciously introspective. There's you can't get to the real guy anymore. What does that mean? Just he is enlightened. He's figured it all out. Uh, everything is very zen. Everything's very meditative. Oh, really? So you can't get to the guy who was the neurotic mess on uh, Larry Sanders. Not not even if you juxtapose, like you know. Okay, this is where you're at now, but let's talk about this then. He won't go there. Albert Brooks, maybe. Albert Brooks. 
Uh, you know what I love about Albert Brooks is he he basically slapped to the ground like Bob Dylan did when they tried to make him the, the you know the flag bearer for the whole uh, yeah, yeah, civil yeah. rights movement. He did that to alternative comedy because uh, you know Cross and Odenkirk and everybody kept talking about him, talking about him, and they did this. I, I think Rolling Stone did an article about this kind of this pocket of new comedy. Yeah, yeah, out, yeah. And they interviewed the one Albert we Brooks. In? <laughs> that we were on the contour of you, we, you and I were part of the initial Ludlow Street yeah. Largo yeah. Uh, Luna Lounge, yeah. and it was just like I just saw the UCB come rocketing past yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, so uh, he said, "I don't know why these people keep bringing me up. Just go, go do your own thing. Stop yeah, yeah. pretending I'm." It was exactly like Dylan. I just watched part of uh, uh, the first movie, Real Life. The oh, other night with, with Charles Grodin about the documentary filmmaker no, who becomes so that. intrusive. Yeah, it's Albert Brooks plays a documentary filmmaker that's got all this new technology and he's just going to follow the life of this veterinarian uh-huh. who's played by Charles Grodin. So this is like pre-reality show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Way this way back is early early seventies probably. Yeah. And he just becomes so intrusive in their life that he almost destroys their <laughs> life. It's it's pretty great. I yeah. mean, the thing about Brooks is like yeah, in every movie. There's great stuff. Yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, like I watched Mother recently with oh, uh, Debbie Reynolds. Ah, that was great. It's it's a sweet, sweet yes. script. He was a little old to play the, the role yeah. in some ways, but 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 it's a it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, well, The Muse was kind of like that, too. He, he's kind of got a little bit of that old Hollywood. He wants to do big family kind of comedies yeah. that have some. But, uh, but uh, the thing about the, the fucking... Uh, Couple that drives across America in the Winnebago. Oh, that's great! I yeah, mean, yeah, the, yeah. that and I mean, yeah, I mean, Boston America. But you know how he started, right? Yeah, he grew up best friends with Rob Reiner. Yeah, and Carl Reiner went on the Tonight Show, and John, so my friend, said, my son's friend Albert, who's the funniest <laughs> man you know? My thirteen-year-old yeah. friend. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, so he was burnt out by the time he was. 2530. I have his record so somewhere. You have, have you listened to his record? Oh, yeah. Count yeah, it's great. One. With the uh, the national anthem on it. Three Dog national... Night is playing Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear that? Yes, I did. That'll be $5. <laughs> and it's like you realize that albums like that, Bob Newhart's first album, he had done stand up three times in his life before he recorded an Emmy, uh, a Grammy Award winning record. And I think about the parameters we put on ourselves as stand-up comedians. I mean, between podcasting and stand-up, we could be walking around with a fucking, you know, giant green mask on and, and having sound effects and doing performance art. And instead, I stand at a mic and I do observational stuff or maybe internal yeah. stuff. But, like, you look at what these guys did in yeah. the context of that time. Yeah. I feel like a failure, like like Phil Hendry. Yeah. So I think what you were getting at before yeah. is that we are broadcasters, and we realize how how high the bar is, and that I, I think sometimes in my own limitations I put on myself, I, I feel like a failure. Yeah, but I, I think that one thing that's saving me along these lines, because I was the first guy to beat the shit out of myself for years and, and never think I was making the grade, is that we at some point have to trust our own instincts. We're not here by coincidence that that something has propelled us and somehow or another we've managed to make a living at this thing. And I've recently, in the last year or two, and I think by virtue of doing the podcast every day, is I've decided... That, you know, that my thoughts are valid and that my sense of things is valid and that the way I look at the world is mine. Uh, it may, may, I may share things with other people. You know, I may have, uh, you know, similar philosophies, but the way I look at the world 
is is mine and and I can present it. Yeah. And and that's enough. I mean, sure. I I used to be driven by fucking furious jealousy all the time, but yeah. but then all of a sudden I realized like the reason I didn't get that opportunity because it wasn't mine to have. No, I think it's a booster rocket. I think when you start out, you need that competitiveness. Oh, you're driven by spite. And then that I booster rocket's got to fall off at some point. Oh, and I can't you have tell, yeah. to find your own. And, and be okay with it. Realizing yeah. your limitations. Yeah. And that, like, that's the difference between somebody with talent who flounders around for years, maybe not getting anywhere. Rick and Shapiro. Somebody- Right, and somebody with talent who says, "This is what I can do. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hone this." Yes, I was never Jim a, Gaffigan. Right, I was never a honer. Yeah, I was a guy like literally. I still think that I have a lot of raw talent. That like you know, I could sing, I could probably dance, I could probably you do a play lot of guitar. Things. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. You, you, and and there's something that I like even now. Like I got to do a CD next week, and I went out on the road. You're going to do a one hour stand up CD? Yeah, and my fourth one. And I wanted to be a new hour, and it is a new hour, but I went out and started really owning it. In San Francisco, I did five shows up at the punchline, and by the end of the fifth show, I'm like, I don't ever want to do any of this shit again. Yeah, I know. And now, like, I'm taking two weeks off. You know, I'm not going to do any stand-up, because I, look, there's a lot to be said for consistency, but I'd much rather something happen during the taping of my CD that I didn't expect, that the audience didn't expect, that might not even be funny, but if it's real, I'm going to be very excited about it's it. It's like Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, where he's trying to get the job uh, uh, defending. Oh, yeah, can the, I move? Can I that, move? That's one of my favorite that's scenes. It. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. defines exactly how I want to do stand-up. Can I move? Yeah. And, and like, for me, like, I get off stage sometimes, I'm like, you know, that was a great show, but the best part was when I dropped the water. And that's what people remember. I, maybe. That's I always it. what they remember because they're not used to somebody honoring that moment. I watched Bill Cosby and, and I just realized and it was along the same lines of what I was talking about before is that, you know, it's your stage. There's yeah. no reason. Like now it's like, I just want to take my time. And, and, you know, I, but I tried to sort of like, you know, sit in jokes a little more and just, you know, tell the story like Bill Cosby would like, yeah. you know, just you know, build it up. And if you have confidence in where you think the funny is, you drop it and then they'll come. Yep. And I did that and didn't come. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then you realize like, this is the process and it's always been the process because, you know, I write on stage. I don't write jokes on a piece of paper and the things that, that stick, you know, are things that I keep trying over and over again, that it's always about the thing we don't give ourselves credit for is we must be doing this. Yeah. That we believe in certain things things and and they stay in the act and other things we let fall to the wayside but we get up there and we overcome this fear and i know they must fail at some point i don't remember it as much but if i'm committed to a joke i'll keep hammering away at it yeah because i believe in the fucking thing i had a joke i worked on for two years and i knew because sometimes you write a joke backwards you know the punchline, right but you try a bunch of ways to get there right. and it's not, but you know when it lands yeah. that punch and it was this joke about uh you know i they asked recently, um, Marge Schott from the Cincinnati Reds, she was banned from right, her own right. stadium for saying the N-word to yeah, one of the yeah. players, uh, but she still owned the team, and they asked her who she thought was going to win the World Series that year, and she says, well, I, I think the Reds are going to win, but then again, I'm prejudiced. Yeah, yeah. And I had that punchline, but I tried a million different scenarios, and it wasn't until that happened that it fit. It was like, now I got the joke. Right. And of course, now it's a, it's a dead joke. But right. I, for one brief shining also, moment, there was Camelot. Right, right. But that's one of those jokes that's like, it's a soft punchline. It's not like, you know, then I stuck it in her ass. Like that, like it's I, where they go, that's clever. Right. They may not laugh hard, right. but yeah. Because like, the jokes I get hung up on, I don't usually do. Like when they're jokes like that, like I've got this idea for a joke that I'm like, I just can't stop thinking about it. Because you know when you see people... 
on the street now, like, you know, I have a problem with handlebar mustaches and fedoras and, you know, you know, people wearing joppers. Like there's a confusion of time periods. (laughs) And then the idea that I'm working with is it looks like someone was getting dressed quickly as they ran through a time tunnel. (laughs) Like they were, they were interrupted during a shave in the late 1800s. They're like, fuck, I got to go. And they're just grabbing different pieces of clothing. Well, that works as long as it's a springboard into a rant. Right. A clever joke just for doing it is like now you're Chuck Sklar or Tom Agnes. You, that's TV style, though. Exactly. It's very hard to guys do that, in a club. that you watch, you know, Jonathan Katz, guys you watch, and you're in awe of their ability to the, have succinct, hard jokes. Right, but, but the, then they can't headline because there's no bills. Right, but yeah, because you, you respect it because they don't have a plan B. There's no other route they're going to take. It's all in, it's yeah, black and white. Right. Right, that, that's it. Like, if that joke doesn't work, it's on to the next joke exactly. like that. We can talk over it not working. Ugh. And like you do that, I see when you're, when you're, because you're, see, you're smart because you're an old school comic. You, you Coming up in Boston, you had to have hard jokes. Yeah. There was no fucking ranting. No, and no, so no, you've, no, had, no. you've developed this style now where you can rant, but you've got your grenades loaded into it. Yeah. And if they don't work. Yeah. There's no harm or foul because yeah. you just pick up where you left yeah. off. No, I didn't. What are you talking about? I didn't try to make a joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was ranting. Something occurred to me. I threw yeah. it out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, a lot of times now, like I, you know, it doesn't like what I'm trying to do now is not. And this is what I, I what I hate about me is that you know I don't like I, I'm not sure I care if they don't laugh a lot. Like, you know, I, I don't like, you, you know, there's there's turns of phrases and there's, you know, performing jokes and there's surprise jokes. But like now I'm just trying to be comfortable with the fact that if you're working in a comedy club and the laugh is not huge, but you believe the joke is solid, even if it's a little disturbing or, or too raw, that that's got to be OK. Yeah. Like I, when I do that, like I still fight the demon of like, well, I've got to figure out a way to tag that. Yeah. Thing yeah. So it gets a bigger laugh. Well, and also by extension, I can't worry about if the if I'm in a red state and I'm doing a Palin joke. That can't. It's like Bill Hicks, you know. It's like if the joke is sound. I mean, that guy used to play in Texas as a as a liberal, and it worked because his jokes worked. And you can't let them decide that they're going to either agree with you or not agree with you, and that's going to define the success of your but comedy. Even, but with Bill, even if they didn't work, eventually he would move into an explosive, almost firework oriented you know uh you know broader joke yes that like you know he could eat shit for a half an hour and make people hate him yeah but then you know the last 15 minutes he would just fucking you know blow the place but up. i also think that there is uh like um i may not agree with uh nick DiPaolo's uh politics on any level whatsoever he's one of four or five comics i'll sit in the back of the room and watch every time yeah and and it's because to, to me it's about did you do your work yeah. are you up there grandstanding because you know you've got a bunch of you're preaching to the converted or are you up there you know in the same way you talk about what's funny about a tangerine you're talking about right you know the tea party right it's got to work yeah yeah I, you know, it's like, I don't know, because like now, like there's different stages, you know, like now I'm doing more comedy clubs than I used to. And then you do the alt rooms and you do this and you do these other places. But what I'm finding now, even with the podcast, is that I can sit and watch somebody if they're engaging. I don't have to be laughing. Exactly. <laughs> you, you and, 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 by, and conversely, I watched a, a comedian the other night. I won't mention them, but big national headliner kills a rooms fucking bored getting yeah. killing oh, on yeah, every joke yeah, so bored oh, yeah yeah I, no someone... vulnerability just rhythm like did you watch did you watch that hbo thing with the frank Leibowitz, the uh the public speaking yes that, i thought that was great yeah it was really great she's so smart yeah and, and, and it's like you know and i do similar type of of 
philosophical jokes. Yeah. And and you know, it's it is its own thing. You have to accept that 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 the comedy club is designed for efficiency. That you know, they don't care what you do as long as everybody's laughing yeah. and drinking. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, if you just talk, I mean that's more human, it's more interesting, there's more vulnerability. And if you can get the laughs, then you're doing an amazing and when you, thing. And when you get the laughs, they're huge. If I go, like when Geraldo died, yeah. I was on stage the next night in uh Minneapolis, Acme Comedy Club, which is as good as any club. He in the won't country. let me back. I don't know what that. Really? Yeah. No. Oh, he'll let you back. I, I'm, I'll make a phone call right now. You belong in that room. It's no, I, I political, to, but I used to play it all smart. the time. I, and then like some something, something happened. He hasn't booked me back in ten years. I'm going to the Mall of America now. That's insane. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck. So is I'm in the club the night after, and I, I can't. I've spent the day crying. Yeah. You know, like literally, I don't think I've cried that. Yeah, you sometimes you burst into tears oh, yeah, and you get over it. It was horrendous. Couldn't stop. Yeah, because so, he's such a he was such a vital guy. And and so I go on stage and I'm like, how do I not talk about this? Yeah. And ten minutes into my set, I just went. So I don't know if there's an elephant in the living room or if it's just in my head, but you know, Greg Giraldo died yesterday, and I just talked. I just talked about him. I talked about how what it's like to cry that hard. You know, I go. It's so it's so weird because. You start to cry, and then as a man, you start to feel you shouldn't be crying, so you try to stop, and then you feel guilty that you're not crying for somebody who you loved, so you cry again, and then you go so deep, it's almost like an orgasm, like these chemicals are released when you're crying that hard that feel good, right. and then, then you feel guilty yeah. that you're that you're feeling good about your friend who died, right. and I didn't, I, it wasn't a bit, and it didn't get laughs. But it was shit that I was really thinking, and I couldn't not. But talk if you would have tagged it with uh, after all that and said that, and then you realized maybe I shouldn't be at the mall, <laughs> yeah. and then I realized, wait, I'm jerking off and crying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so no, and it, the thing is, is then when I did my next bit that had nothing to do with it, <sighs> because you had trusted them, yeah. and they had seen you vulnerable, right. and so the jokes become like. And again, as long as the jokes then are not about, right. you know, uh, staring at a nun's ass, or if it's like an, an extension of that truth, but on another topic. No, I think that's true, and I, you know, and I, you know, and I, I thrive on that. I'm now, I always did, but I didn't have any control over it. <laughs> well, it's like watching that Fran Lebowitz thing. Her conviction on what she was saying as being real and hurt, it was just you couldn't change a channel. Well, yeah, the other thing that she said was that, like, you know, uh, not not everyone should write a book. So let's get to. Um, to your book. Nice transition. <laughs> <laughs> that addressing Fran's concern with that everybody who has any visibility Speaking with of them. trees being wasted in this country. <laughs> no, man. It looks like you really put a lot of work into this thing. It's apparently more than you did in reading it. Dude, I had it a week. A week? What do you think? I got Keith Richards' book. You think I'm going to put that down? I know. I'm listening to it on tape. Fuck him and- uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp reading it, and it is- God damn it, that's good. Not as good did as Did you this, do a good. book on tape? I did not. Why not? They want to I think they want to wait six months because they want to sell these first, but that doesn't make sense. I got a podcast. What, My biggest you... advertiser is audible.com. Right, but I mean, like I, I'm wondering about my book. Like, why can't I just record one and, and you sell can. it myself? Usually six months after the release of the book, you Why don't revert... you do it yourself? I will in six months if they don't want to continue to do that plan. Then I'm on it. I'll now, when it. you got the deal, because uh, now I know you're out, you're out reading the book, and I and I talked to you. There was a period there where you couldn't do anything because you were you were like, I can't. I'm writing a book. Yeah. The the weird thing about it, though, wasn't it amazing when you are told that you have a deadline and that you are being paid for it that you write 
Yeah. You write the Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Now, what's amazing to me is that you saved all these fucking pictures and shit. Yeah, my mother did, actually. These are um, letters that were sent home when I was in trouble, starting in preschool. Like, literally, a teacher was upset That's the through me. Line. Yeah, and it, and it goes up till last year. And, I mean, I've got letters in there tracking, uh, you know, me... Uh, not being a- able to wiggle in preschool, and they were concerned and upset with my parents that I sent that they sent me to preschool not prepared to wiggle. Well, not prepared for preschool. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what wiggle was. I didn't know what a caboose was. I didn't know the ABC song. And the woman was actually really concerned about me. That you were retarded. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, they didn't say back then. They right. just put it on your parents to beat you. Right. And so it continues through like grammar school and high school, and then police reports. I used to get arrested a lot. I've got all the police reports in there. And then in college, I was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon freshman year at Boston University. For what? Went, what? what, what a guy had date raped a girl in my dorm, and I chased him down with a, a broken bottle, and I held him while the police came. And, then and the you girl, got arrested? The girl uh, decided to not press charges, and then he turned around and pressed charges on me. So then I had to bring the girl in at this hearing with the uh, dean of housing, uh-huh. and we had to do like a Mexican standoff, and she, she said she was going to press charges unless he dropped his. And uh, we walked Was that away. a backroom deal, or that happened in public? That was backroom. Wow. Yeah. She 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 stepped up. She didn't want the controversy of, of dealing. Well, it was three weeks into my freshman year. She was a freshman. I guess she just didn't want to be bogged down. What was the chivalry year. involved in that? How did you know her? Were you just you know, you grandstanding? I was walking home drunk at two in the morning, and I saw her with a friend's arm around her. She was trembling and crying. Go, what happened? They said she was just attacked by this guy. He was wearing like a you know Jackson the Community College sweatshirt, something that you could distinguish. So me and another guy ran out to. Uh, we were in Sleeper Hall. We ran out to Com Ave. I remember Sleeper. He Hall, went. Yeah. Down, yeah, by the football field. Yeah. He ran down. I ran up. So he was going towards Hamilton House, that apartment yeah. thing. You got you live right next to there, as yeah. a matter of fact. And uh, I told the security guard not to buzz him in. He was a football player, and uh, I stood there. He's with a friend, and I held the bottle up, very fine fruit punch. And uh, for five minutes, I held him there, and, and then the, the police came. That's amazing. But the, the interesting thing about that is, because like, you always wonder where those moments of uh, bravery come from outside of alcohol. But that's three weeks in. No one knows each other, really. Yeah. And this is your defining moment. Well, it was for me, uh, having a little sister, I was always extremely, like, Did you know the girl, really? No, didn't know her. Huh. I mean, you see a girl attacked. This is that crazy Irish drunk fucking, justice. The book is kind of about that. I mean, I still get into, I got into a fist fight this year. I still get road rage. I still lose my shit. And uh, it's all about, uh, you know, every arrest involved getting into a bar fight or a fight on the street. Now, did you lose fights? No, because I'm Irish. I mean, again, if I have to pick up a bottle or if I have to bite somebody, it doesn't matter. I'm five foot eight, 150 pounds, and I think I think some people are afraid to fight somebody who's my size, who's not blinking. Right? They're like, this guy's. Fucked. So you go into like a, a uh, like a blind rage. Blind rage. There's no off switch. I cannot stop myself. Because I find that not. I don't get into fist fights. That, that frightens me. But I when I do get into rages that I can't stop until they stop on their own. And do you, how, how do you manifest your rage? Yell. I yell. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's usually in relationships. Is it also to, do you ever find it in, in the industry? Have you yelled at club owners or? Not in a long time. Yeah. I've become very diplomatic. My rage only comes out when I have chosen to give my heart to somebody. Yeah. And then like, I'm so sensitive that I get paranoid. And if I get any sense that I'm being disrespected or manipulated or fucked with. Yeah. You know, in a moment. 
my my tone will switch like well what the fuck does that like like that yeah because it's not about her it's about your ability to have a relationship yeah it's, it's just all a, the rage against very having sensitive. to yeah i'm very I, I get very it's stupid and it's it's debilitating and it, it's hurtful and i'm tired of it yeah but yeah. anyways how much of yours is driven by do you find do you have napoleonic complex I mean, you're not really yeah. short, but I mean, do you? No, but I was very skinny growing up, and I had a brother who was 13 months older than me, and we used to we used to fight a lot. And my father was six two, an alcoholic, used to beat me. And then I would go out with friends, and I hung out with a pretty tough group of friends in New yeah. York, and we used to get into fights. And I mean, with other people and with each other. And uh, I played hockey, and I just I had a lot of. Uh, I didn't want anybody humiliating me. I mean, when your father beats you, it's humiliating. I mean, that is the worst. It's not the physical pain. Because you can't, there's nothing you can there's do. There's nothing you can do. And this, is, and this is somebody that you are counting on biologically. Your life depends on this person loving and caring for you. And now they're harming you on purpose. That's a fucked up thing. So you're frightened, yet you still have to rely on them. And inside, there's a part of you that is protecting itself and saying, and there's a turning point in the book where I, I come home from college and my dad is beating my sister. And I walk downstairs and again, like, what the fuck? How did I allow myself to do this? Stood between him and my sister. I'm 19. And I said, you can hit me. You don't hit a girl. Yeah. And he just froze. First time in my life, I saw him just froze. Yeah. And I walked her upstairs, and he came up to my room about five minutes later, and I was like, here comes the beating of my life. Yeah. And he said, if you ever cross me again, you got no money for college, you're out of this family, it's done. And he left, and I thought, it's over. You know? Yeah. He, he, I, just, I just called his bluff, and he had nothing. Yeah. You know, I saw a weak, uh, kind of frightened guy right there. That, that happened with my father, too, that when you push him to the wall, all that's there is fuck you. And it's so sad because uh, you realize that, man, all that shit, that all that power I thought he had, you know, which I looked up to, yeah. it's not there, you know? And yet I still loved the guy. I mean, we had a very close relationship. He ended up dying uh, very young, and I, was, I hadn't spoken to him. And it was the first time in our lives we had stopped speaking. As volatile as it was, yeah. I counted on him and vice versa. He was extremely proud I'd started doing stand-up. Yeah. Well, he was a broadcaster, right? Yeah, he was a big radio guy in New York. And then, he, uh, and then we didn't speak because of his drinking. It got to a point where I couldn't be around him. I had gotten sober, and I, was, I, I needed a year to just clear my head. Yeah. And nine months into that, he just died suddenly. And so of what? I, heart attack. Yeah, he smoked three and a half packs a day, and uh, but it's very interesting that moment where 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 the def you you said you don't hit a girl, and I think that you know as a parent, especially an abusive parent, you don't you don't see that you just see that's a that's the kid, you know it's the difference between a kid and a woman like that that you framed it that way like he, obviously he wasn't afraid you were going to hit him yeah but I think that the idea that you know he was hitting a girl yes it was emasculating yeah. Yeah, and I think it was, uh, again, out of fear, he didn't want us to end up like him because my, my sister was drunk. She was like, you know, 15, and he was beating her because she was drunk. But and was there ever any contrition? Did he ever cry to you? Did he ever, like, you know? No, no. It was, uh, you know, he grew up, his parents died young, and uh, he, he had a lot of bad shit in his past. And the fact that actually he got married, him and my mother had a kind of a beautiful romance. They really dug each other and had fun with each other and... um. I think that what he accomplished on a personal level is uh, when you look at it in, you know, in the context of where he came from. Yeah. It, all, it actually inspires me to go deeper into whatever I can have, you know, because I was, uh, 
you know, I had better tools to deal with life but like, than he but did. But when you rage, like, see, even when, when I get into it, like, I feel so bad afterwards that, that you know, I'd cause someone else pain and that, like, I couldn't, you know, control it. Uh, that, you know, without that self-awareness, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what, like. I feel like it's a release. No, it's a release. But, like, when you when you do hurt somebody, whether it's with your words or, or with your hands, that if afterwards you feel nothing, uh, you know, that that's an indicator of something, you know, almost sociopathic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, well, there's, what is that thing? Uh, somebody was telling me about, uh, is it split personality disorder? Mm-hmm. No, not split. Um, borderline. Yeah. And I think that I, I definitely have a touch of the manic depression. I mean, I have deep depression. Everybody in my family does, and I take medication for it. And uh, the edges of that are that kind of uh, borderline personality where you do, when you get paranoid, you really can detach a little bit. And when I go white with anger, yeah, release. And like when I was driving to the hardware store with my friend this two years ago, and this guy was going down the street and he was cutting people off on purpose. Right. And so then I cut him off uh-huh. and uh, I got out of the car and, and I just, I, I handed my friend my coffee cup. <laughs> we were going to the hardware store to buy some and I got out and I just started punching the guy in the face while he sat in his car. He put it in reverse and took off and I sat back in my car and I asked him for the coffee and I just kept driving and hands aren't trembling, barely breathing hard. And it just, there was never a feeling of. What, have, has anyone taken legal action against you as an adult? No. I mean, doesn't that happen? Isn't that the big uh, the the barrier to doing that as a grown man? It's it's really really irresponsible. I'm ashamed of the behavior, and it's so you something do feel that, that I well, I feel ashamed that I have children, and I put them in a position where uh, this stuff could affect them deeply. But you don't feel any remorse for that guy? No, zero. <laughs> because I feel like <laughs> that guy deserved. I don't think that people hit each other enough in our society. I feel like you know, in the old days, if you fucked up, you got punched in the face, and now mm-hmm. you've got people walking around, guys in L.A. that are walking around douchebags, and they treat people. They look down on everybody. They look through a parking attendant because he's Mexican, like he doesn't exist, and they, you know, they give him a tip and they don't make eye contact, and they, you know, they unless somebody can help them in, in every different ways that you can be a shithead in society. You used to get punched in the face for it. And I think that that's lacking. But uh, but are you telling me that you are that selfless that you are uh, aware and appreciative and 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 show the the proper amount of politeness and empathy no, towards everyone? No, absolutely not. And uh, you know, but I do pay attention to people, and I'm aware of a dynamic that's going on between every human being that comes within my range. I engage. And I'm honest with Like, it. I find that, like, when I write emails, that I have to constantly remind myself to say thank you, that I have to constantly remind myself. Like, sometimes yeah, I'll go back yeah, yeah, to yeah. thank people yep. because I'm just, it's it's not, it's rude because I'm just thinking about me. But that's different. I think uh, what or I'm being talking- condescending. And, yeah. yeah, I think it's more of a, like, when I finished at Kimmel, I was, like, driving home, like, motherfucker, it didn't even occur to me to write a thank you note to the producer, the second producer, who busted his ass, made me look great, took good care of me, and and I and I just thought to myself, I went into a shame spiral that I hadn't thought of it before that moment. Right. Meanwhile, the guy probably wouldn't be expecting it, and even if I sent it tomorrow, that's when you're supposed to send it. But the fact that I, it didn't occur to me quicker yeah. made me feel shitty about myself. So I think you and I overcompensate. I think you and I think we're shittier people than we really are. Yeah. Uh, I often find that. Like, I go to the shrink, and she's like, um, you 
are a good father. You feel like you're a bad father because you're father. You're yeah, not. Right. And and I overcompensate for these feelings. And I think that you feel like, I mean, a big mantra in your act, I don't know if it still is, was I'm an asshole. Mm. And so you're, and you're not really. You're actually a very decent person. Well, what happens is you, I, I find, unfortunately, that flaw, the, the flaw of anger is, you know, in terms of, of, of like, it's one of those few character flaws that can really erase a lot of good behavior. Yes. That you can be a great guy, but as soon as you engage in that, that that all of a sudden it takes you don't have any more of that. It good empties capital. the account. Yeah. And and that's that that's a problem. Yeah. You know, like it's one thing, like you know, like you know, I spent too much money. You know, I, you know, I, I gambled uh, uh, this away or whatever. But there's all those destructive. But anger, you know, in 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 two minutes. You can you can empty that account. Well, it's probably very primal. I mean, if you have a guy in the tribe who snaps, he can kill somebody. Yeah, you know, and the other guy who uh, he's, but he's never all, but they he's also, never contributed much to the tribe. He's a bad hunter, but you know what? He's nice, calm, and even. You can talk to that guy. Yeah, but but the anger become you become a liability. You be that that's the thing is like you know like hey they, he's angry and he's funny, but you know let's not have him over. You, exactly. You, you know it's it's a bad one to have. Yes, it and, is, and it's always going to make you feel shitty. Yeah, and I've had relationships with age where you know I, I get angry one time because oh, yeah. and it's a leg- legitimate fuck up that really costs you something and if you get angry you know it, I feel like as a New Yorker uh, I just I feel like we express ourselves that way like a European they're you yelling you try to it, it comes back and yeah. forth you can absorb it and out here and in this business there's such a there's such a paramount on keeping your cool and being even and being okay with everything that I find it's castrating I can't be creative and keep myself that, that in check. It's being political, is what it is. It, you know, it's maintaining relationships. But it's emotionally political. No, I I know, but but the thing is, is that someone once said to me, she goes, you know, you you can't talk to people like that. Yes, and she's right. You mean to her? Well, yeah, just in general, like yeah. you know, like, and then I think, do I do that to other people? Have I? Yeah, I have, and it's bad. Yeah, I mean, do do you still represented by Becky? No. Oh, well, like one time, like I used to, like when I was driven by spite, I'm, you know, I'd call him up and go, why the fuck am I not doing that? What the fuck? Is-? Yeah. And literally one time he said, I'm hanging up the phone now. Yeah. You know, I don't talk like customer service people. One time, the one time that someone said to me, sir, you can't talk to me like this. I'm hanging up. There's that moment where they hang up and you realize you can go two ways. Like, yeah. you know, who the fuck are you? Or like, I, you, you can't. No, I go the ladder. I go the ladder because I, I need, I need more pushback. I, oh, yeah. I need it, you know, my and my wife, and I. you were asking me how my wife is. I can't tell you. 13, you know what a fucking downside it is that I don't hate my wife and we don't fight as a comedian? It would be such a great well to go to. But this woman is just, she knows when to just say, hey, you're being an asshole, but that she doesn't, she doesn't hassle me on small shit. She just knows this is my world. I have a pretty broad range of emotions, and she not so much absorbs it, but deflects it. It doesn't bother her. And so I have that in my life, and that has allowed me in a lot of ways to know, okay, that's behavior I should be showing to other people. That's, well, I, well, that's a good range. But you listen to her. That's yes. the difference. And that, you know, that's something that, that I need to learn, too, is that like, if you value a relationship, that you know you better value it yes that there the, the difference between you saying like you know i love her and thank god she you know when she says you're being an asshole you go you may fight it a minute but you go you're right yeah as opposed to like yeah i'm being an asshole fuck you yeah How, fuck you yeah and then you're alone well and i've been 
I've been there with her, you know, over the years. I've been at sure. places where I've been like that. But I think in the last couple of years, writing this book and watching her support for me be all about me and the book and, you know, missing dinners and missing picking up a kid at a soccer. I can't do it. I got to do it. And just watching her step up and go, you know, he needs this time. I'm going to be there for him and never resenting it fucking filled me with she built so much credit with me yeah she i don't know how she could ruin it for the rest of my life i'm so on board and she's hot yeah. 34 d cup all right all right you don't want to hear more about that no i i, I mean I, it's pretty well it's i mean we're sweet. we're on a very a mature trajectory in all right but i just want to say it's that part too it's physical it's everything there's nothing i want in somebody else and uh and yet you know it's uh Do you want me to send this to her or she doesn't listen. <laughs> she will not watch my Kimmel set from last night. She's never once heard my podcast. Really? Oh, d- complete media blackout. She doesn't care about it. Oh, good. Which is great. Oh, it's it, it's very good. But I mean, it sounds to me that what you're experiencing is uh, you're you're fucking uh, growing up. <laughs> I hate it. It doesn't make you funnier. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Do you remember, like, in the first half of your life? And we're talking about competition and how that drives you. But also just you throwing yourself into shit, making big mistakes, falling down. And thinking that's the way you learned. Well, you do. Yeah. And then in the second half of your life, if I was still throwing out that range of commitment to everything I did, how much I'd still be growing. We play defense yeah. in the second half of life. You well, just you protect what you got in the first half. Yeah, yeah. And also like I find when people ask me advice that most of it comes from me saying like, well look, don't do what I did. Yeah. That you know, there's an easier way to do this. You know, try to be mature about it. Cause it took me forever yeah. to, to realize that it's not all about me. You know that I do have to behave a certain way, and I and I have to, you know. I but can't. if you had, you wouldn't be where you are right now. If you had behaved that way in the first half, well, I had no capability to do that. Some people are just more... no. But my point is, you were expressing something that was real. Right. You were navigating life with a fire. Yeah. That uh, you would not be where you are in your that's career. Right. Well, I and I think I still do that. Yeah. I guess that's a good thing. You know, uh, but you know, age is is sort of humbling. It is very humbling. You <laughs> so, in the, the arc of this book, do is there a lesson learned? Do you change as a person? I mean, from the beginning, like you I know, think my perspective changes, but maybe not my behavior. I mean, I've been sober twenty years, and you know, uh, but beyond that, I uh, at the end, you see, I, I now get letters sent home about my children that are almost identical, and you realize it's D, it's just DNA. It's bad Irish genes, you know? No, well, or it's, well, I've always thought that no matter how hard you try to be different, that whatever's, whatever's beneath your attempt at changing the, 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 the game yeah. on a familial sort of like a tradition way that underneath that, the kids are going to absorb that too. And it's oh, yeah. ultimately going to be up to them. And they're probably going to fight the same fight that you fought. Yes. Well, and beyond just the chemical, like I, oh, yeah. I feel so guilty that my kids are going to have depression at some point in their lives. And I know how bad it is, yeah. but also there's, you know, I don't drink. My dad did. And that adult child behavior will be handed on to them. Even yeah. though I've, they've never seen me drink. Right. There's still the control yeah. And, yeah. The, and the rage yeah. and all those things that I've tried to work on, but they they don't learn your words they learn your actions and they they get the, the energy and the dynamic and that and so you know i i think that the if there is an arc to the book it's that i look back and i see that these letters were not you know the book is about blindly challenging anybody who told me what to do doing oh, yeah. the opposite of what yeah. anyone told me to do the fight against no 
Yeah, exactly. And now <laughs> yeah. I'm looking back at no and saying some of these no's were constructive. These <laughs> yeah. were people that deeply cared about me. Yeah. You know, some of these notes I found from teachers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that son of a bitch, he fucking saved me in school. Uh-huh. And I was angry at yeah. him for it. Yeah. So I think if there's a if there's a growth in the book, there's just it's perspective. But uh-huh. there's no I don't believe in change. I really don't believe people can change. Uh-huh. I well, mean, you can change you can change the paint on the house, but it, well, I, I I don't know if that's true, right? Only because I think that, like, certainly when you, when you don't drink and you're trying to find your way, whatever. I, I think that if you make different choices than you are instinctually prone to do enough, that you will change the way you approach things and and your decision making process yeah i guess maybe i'm looking at it too much as the instincts and the uh, you know the compulsions rather no, because than the behavior I, I, well i think the compulsions that, don't change of course not but whether you honor them or not is yes. is is the maturity of no change. that's true but i guess maybe um i mean i think i'm like you I, I i think i'm a little too existential and rather than judging it on you know what i don't get in fights as much i don't drink anymore i'm i'm manifesting a change to people but i'm still feeling it so to me it feels like well what's real what's real yeah, but, but doesn't what, matter what's real right but also what i know as someone who's getting older and someone who's been through a certain amount of shit is that a lot of shit that used to drive me crazy doesn't a lot of the shit i used to worry about or think about or make myself nuts about for days weeks months years does not have a hold on me anymore but did you change or were you worn down no, I don't think it was worn down. It's really putting things into perspective. Literally, like, why, like, I've said this before, that most of what we're reacting to is something we're generating either on yeah. purpose or not. Yes. So, you know, I, if that's true, then I can make choices to, you know, not fuel that generator. Well, I'm sitting in your studio right now. Right. And your instinct was, after our last interview, that you didn't want that. So was that internally generated, that last conflict? No, no. I, I, well, what, what that was was it, it was you know, every time we hang out, we we get along great, and we, and I think we're good friends, you, you know. But I didn't. The, my experience with your show, like I was being resentful for no reason at all, and then I was sitting here like, oh, I'm going to go after him, and then I'm thinking like, what do I? What, what for what? Yeah. yeah. Because we've had this we've had a discussion off the mics. You're making a choice to do what you do. You're aware of what you're doing, and and I I didn't really resent. <laughs> resent you but i mean you you know that you're the kind of broadcaster you are but as a person i believe you're different i believe that yes i think i bring the instincts of a stand-up to my show in other words if i feel like there's there's a there's fat or there's a there's a it's flatlining then i need to fight to get something going that's no i get that you but know? Some, but sometimes and, and we, we have can... different ways of doing that obviously you you if you're feeling something's boring you're going to change topic or you're going to raise the stakes or whatever and for me i guess i always go uh, how can i how can i get this guy he's giving me He's standing flat-footed. How do oh, I get yeah. him on his heels or on his toes? But right then now? sometimes, like uh, what happens is, there's nothing you can do. Yes, and and then you just end up yelling at a wall. Yeah, but I don't yell. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging you. The the thing that made or you me mean that, metaphorically. Yeah, I'm just saying that. Like when you talk to somebody, you're like, all right, he's not going to go there. So what does he do? Let him do what he does. Yeah, and, and it'll be entertaining. You know, have a little faith in 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 their ability to carry themselves. That is of, something I need to work on. Like, I agree. A lot of times, I walk away from interviews saying, like, God, I wish I had. And then like people are like, that was great. And exactly. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to shut yep. up. Yeah. That you you know like when you especially when you're talking to professionals in in what we do and whoever your guests are they're usually professionals at what they do they sense it's boring too 
Well, not only do they sense they're boring, but what you believe is boring may not be. Yes. You're just freaking out because it's like, oh no, there's an empty moment. Yes. Yeah. And really, it's just uh, it's just two people talking, and and that you're denying them their their being. Absolutely, and it's especially hard for me because I work with a sidekick, and uh, sometimes I got a producer there, and then I feel like if one of them interjects and it's not good i fucking explode because it's hard enough for me to get i'm i'm locked in with a guest and i'm trying to keep it you know good 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 and then they energy and now they have taken they have uh they've taken it out of gear yeah you know whatever yeah. was building up they just they just fucking oh, yeah, put yeah. air into it and it makes me crazy because yeah. they have to respect it like unless it, there's a four alarm blaze outside yeah, yeah. you know don't don't yeah, speak yeah. unless spoken to yeah don't don't derail it well, that's why I don't have anyone in here. Yeah, but, but it, do you find, though, when you do it by yourself, do you have to structure it more than if you're interviewing somebody, or do you just turn on the mic and go? No, no, I don't structure anything. I, I don't have anything written down for you. I, you know, I don't structure anything. But what I was saying about you, though, the reason that I, I all, you know, I was not that upset, and, and, and I was, you know, I just wanted to, you know, I find that even if I schedule interviews, that they require a lot of attention. But the one thing I know about you, and the thing that always gets me about you is that i know you've got a big heart and i know that when you laugh you, you know that you have the kind of laughter that i i appreciate which is like you, you might as well you should be crying and and that and that uh, <laughs> and that like i i do you mean do you mean that it's just that it's like there's a lot inside yeah that I need yeah to get you know, out? Like i can feel you know i that. love that i'm putting that on the back of my next book when he's laughing he really should be crying <laughs> <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, I grew up with that. And, and I and I think that it's just like, you know, there's a familiarity here that would breed resentment. It's outside of professional. Yes. You, you know that like, you know, we're, we're similar. We, you know, we we're kindred spirits and, and, you know, that that brings its own issues. Yes. But I think we did good. I feel really good about this. But wait, I yes. just want to say there's one missing puzzle piece uh. because you did my show. Yeah. And then you had me on your live show at right. uh, UCB Theater. Yeah. And there was a, you gave me, and I was really ready to be attacked because you, I know that you had a- I don't really attack. Well, the intro you gave me, that's what I'm bringing oh, up. Oh. The intro you gave me was probably the worst intro I've ever gotten <laughs> in my life. And yeah. it, was kind of, it was kind of throwing an overhand right before I'd even sat down. Right, that's how I do it. Well, th- but that's exactly what you said that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sip water, take another sip. <laughs> What was that about? I'm, I can't even remember it, but I, I think there was a little bit like, you know, both your fans and my fans had, you know, started to stoke some sort of fire. And then like, you know, I got it in my head. I don't even remember what the intro was, but I thought you know, what stuck in my mind about you when I went into your studio and you interviewed me was that like, I was like, why am I being put on the defensive? Yeah. So uh, I I felt a little attacked. So it was just my backhanded way of getting you back, and that was it. You know, I'm, I don't know if I'm proud of the fact that we didn't engage that potential uh, turf war, or or whether or not we missed an opportunity there. But it, I think it would have felt contrived if it went any far any further beyond that. I the, the the problem with that is, and I think we would have the same problem is that you, you know when that stuff happens, you know even when I see opportunities to do it, like you know I tried to get Rogan on this show and he said words about me on his podcast, you know in response to me calling him a bully in a general way, not even in a vindictive way, was that if I engage in that, then there there's a wild card, and that yeah. would be the other guy. 
Yeah. So like if we were to engage in that, then I'd have to manage this shit and, and, and be like, what did he say? Yeah. And then I got to go listen to your podcast, yeah. which I can't deal with. Yeah. And then, you know, and figure out what you said. Yeah. And and then like, you know, have to address it. And, and then, then you got to think about how is it appearing to the third person? Yeah. How is I, it affecting me personally? Yeah. And I, don't, I didn't feel that. Yeah. You know, and I don't no, know. The only way to do that is to really both plan have to it be and in do on it right. It. Yeah. And we got to be in on it. And then we'd be, it'd be bullshit. Then. Yeah. It would yeah. be horrible. But but the book is Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons: Tales of Redemption from uh, an Irish Mailbox, and uh, and and you, you did it. You wrote a book, and yeah, it's thanks, pretty, man. and it sounds good. And I'm, yeah, and I'm, I'm proud glad. of it. And can I just say you can uh, you can order it there on Fitzdog.com, which is also where Fitzdog Radio is uh, is housed. Okay, man. Well, I think we did good. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. It was good talk. <laughs> That's our show. You see, me and Greg are friends. You see? Could you hear that thing in his in his laughing, though, that he could be crying? Could you? I mean, I, is it just me? Fitzsimmons, great guy. Uh, listen to Fitzdog Radio, his podcast. Buy his book because it's fun. Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons, Tales of Redemption from an Irish Mailbox. I'll plug. I'll plug. I'll plug me, too. Kicking a few shekels, would you? Need the help. Cats are hungry. WTFpod.com. Get on the mailing list because I'll email you. I will. I'll send you pictures. I'll, I'll write things down that I don't say. I'll do that kind of stuff. Go to WTFPodshop.com. There's about five premium episodes up there. A lot of funny shit. A lot of great shows coming up. I appreciate you listening. I uh, gotta go. I'm going. I gotta go now. Here I go. Here I go.